0: What is going on gunfighters? Welcome to Gunfighter Life, the podcast where we talk about gunfighting the right way with God at the center, Judeo-Christian values and real world first-hand experience. Today's episode is going to be on barrels, and it's not going to be all inclusive. Going to be a talk about Some of the common features of barrels, how to understand them, and hopefully how to better inform you on what to choose when you're looking for a barrel. Things you want, things you don't want, things that matter and things that don't matter. With that, just want to briefly say if you're not subscribed to this podcast and got your settings set up so that it downloads, maybe step back, reevaluate your life. Reach down and hit that subscribe button on the podcast. Maybe even leave a review. With that, I'm going to plug in the bio and then we'll get into the topic. You want to skip the bio, skip around 3 minutes and 45 seconds. Who am I? A question we should all ask ourselves. I am, first and foremost, a servant of God made in his very own image, a follower of Jesus Christ, a simple man called by God to the Great Commission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Next, a little bit about my background and what God has allowed me to do and blessed me to do in life. Grew up what most would consider very poor in the backwoods of the southeastern and mid-Atlantic United States. Hunting and fishing. Joined the Marine Corps at 17. Did a couple of combat tours in Iraq. So a decorated Marine Corps combat veteran. Infantry Assaultman. After the combat tours. I was an urban warfare instructor for the United States Marine Corps under Mojave Viper. I also served in the U.S. Army, both full time and part time National Guard. Also, a veteran of law enforcement, I served with LAPD. I was a sworn peace officer, a cop for LAPD. I worked regular patrol assignments and more specialized assignments. One of those more specialized assignments was warrant service fugitive recovery also had some other law enforcement roles I am an FBI certified firearms instructor and been certified by another three letter government agency in a lot of firearms and training things I've also been a private contractor worked in the private sector Pertaining to tactics and gunfighting and protecting America from enemies, foreign and domestic, I served as the commander of a tactical team to stop active shooters in a large metropolitan area. That was our primary mission to stop active shooters, which sadly are a thing in America today. I've also been blessed to do quite a bit of competition shooting. Started my first formal competitions, even before joining the Marine Corps at seventeen. I had won more shooting competitions than I can remember. I have competed in all manner of disciplines in shooting. I've been blessed to be a state rifle and pistol champion, West Coast regional champion. Like I said, been blessed to win more shooting competitions than I can remember. I mentioned hunting, I've hunted to put meat on the table. Starting when I was a child, I've also been a professional big game hunter and guide, hunting and slaying all manner of beast. And I don't apologize for that. Humbled to be the host of three podcasts. Simple Man Sermons, Alpha Male Podcast, and Gumfighter Life. Obviously, as things not mentioned, I've been blessed to do many other things. But, again, first and foremost, I'm a servant. A servant of God, a believer and follower of the Bible, the Word, Jesus Christ. And I don't apologize for that. With that, let's transition into today's topic. So, let's talk about barrels. And again, this is not going to be an all-inclusive thing. It's not going to be a super nerd out. I'm not going to talk really about button rifling versus broach cut versus a mandrel. We're going to talk about the things I think are kind of important to the end user in gunfighting. Let's get real general and real broad. What is a barrel? It's basically a tube that the projectile flies out of. After that primer is ignited, that powder creates a whole lot of pressure, that pressure has to go somewhere. That barrel forces all that pressure behind that projectile to go in one direction to force that projectile out the barrel. Something super simple like a smoothbore shotgun or you know, your old brown Bess musket. That's It's literally just a metal tube. That's basically it. Now, for most modern guns besides shotguns, we're going to talk about rifling, right? Rifling is important. Rifling is that thing that spins the projectile to give it that stabilization. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and community safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join US border patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Really a series of lands and grooves. And if you don't know, the barrel should be bigger than the actual barrel size meaning if you take the projectile out of your cartridge out of your like say nine millimeter cartridge you take the bullet out of there mechanically like you pull it out it will not drop through the barrel it's quite a bit bigger it has to get forced down that tremendous amount of pressure forces that lead it swages it and makes it smaller so it can fit down that barrel it shoves it and compresses it it compresses it into those lands and grooves. The lands are the things that stick out the grooves. Obviously, are the things that are cut into the barrel. So, you got your lands and grooves. That lead, usually lead covered in copper projectile, gets squeezed down into those grooves. And it spins it as it travels down the barrel. Your traditional barrel is some pretty sharp cut lands and grooves. There is a thing called hexagonal rifling, which... If you look at a Gen 1 through 4 Glock barrel, it doesn't have traditional sharp cut lands and grooves. They're very gentle. They almost look like waves in the ocean. They don't have distinct grooves. Glock uses these. HK uses these. I've heard that they cannot be matched as well ballistically because you don't get the precise lands and groove cuts in the projectile. They don't have any distinct definition in the land and the groove it's like again kind of a wave if you look at it. I've heard that they're much harder to match ballistically that may be why maybe not I'm not really sure why the Glock went back to traditional rifling than the Gen 5s. The Gen 5s have more traditional cut rifling but HK and Glock for a long time both used this kind of wavy and it's called hexagonal rifling. But the vast majority of barrels have sharp cut lands and grooves. Five and six is pretty common. I'm sure you can find other amounts of rifling and things like that. But it's literally a series of grooves cut in the barrel to spin it. And there's a couple of ways this can be done. Looking at old pictures and uh, I had a Foxfire book. I don't have it anymore. But one of the editions of the Foxfire book told how the Appalachians made their own rifles. Like at home, they literally just drew a sharp cutting implement spinning down the barrel one at a time or two at a time to cut grooves in the barrel to make rifling. Probably the more traditional way to do it, the easiest manufacturing way to do it, at least you know in days of yore, they would draw something through the barrel and remove material out of it in a spiral, cutting the rifling out. I don't know when the cold hammer forging came to pass, but it became popular in World War II and post-World War II. And basically what this is, you take a barrel blank, you take a barrel stock, which is just again a steel tube, and you put it on what's called a mandrel. Not really going to explain what that is, but you put it on there and you literally smash it down to conform it to the caliber and rifling that you want. That's a cold hammer forged barrel. A lot of times you'll hear cold hammer forged chrome line barrel. Now, chrome lining is what it sounds like. Just like chrome on a bumper or chrome on anything else, chrome is a different element than, than iron is. It's harder. In addition to being harder, which is important, it also doesn't rust, which is important. So you see it really commonly in military machine gun barrels because it's harder. When that steel gets super hot in rapid fire, especially like being in the Marines and the Army, you see a machine gun barrel, when it shoots a long time, it can get literally red hot which means it's soft and easy to bend and remove material and stuff from, which is not good in a machine gun when you're shooting it. Most modern machine guns, you change the barrel before that, but that chrome lining helps with that because it's harder than the steel. And even in a non-machine gun, it generally will give you longer barrel life. So that's important to you. You got to to judge that. That's what I was talking about in the beginning. You know, if it's a hunting rifle and you're prolonging life from 3,000 rounds to 10,000 10, rounds going to chrome lining, does it really matter to you? If it's Again, if it's a hunting gun, have you ever put 3,000 rounds through a hunting gun? I've been a professional hunter and guide. I've hunted ever since I was a boy and I've done it professionally. I've never put 3,000 rounds through any hunting rifle and I can't imagine doing so. Now, for a go-to AR or my SCAR-17 that I take the training classes and I run professionally as a professional gunfighter, yeah, easily. Like our quota for one rifle class was 2,000 rounds in a week. One of our professional rifle training courses. So yeah, I could easily see putting 10,000 rounds through a go-to defensive rifle, mostly for practice. So does it matter for that? Yeah, you bet. So again, that's weigh your options. Building an AR-10 to hunt deer with? Probably don't care if it's chrome-lined. Unless you want the corrosion resistance, which is a thing we talked about, you know, if you live in Georgia or you live in the Oregon coast, then yeah, maybe you do want that chrome lining because chrome doesn't rust. But if you let's say, you know, live in Arizona or Nebraska and you're building a AR- building an AR ten to hunt deer with, do you need a chrome lined barrel? Probably not. Right? Because you're never going to be in conditions where you need it, and you're probably never gonna put the amount of rounds through it that it even matters. Also, obviously, there's more complexity to a chrome lined barrel because you're fusing two different materials together. And that is another process. And whenever you introduce more complexity, you in general get opportunities for less consistency. How much of that is important to you? Again, are you a bench rest shooter? Because for most accuracy, chrome lined barrels can be very accurate. We're talking about the most precise, you're probably talking a stainless steel cut rifle barrel. But again, does that even matter to you? Because if you're not shooting off a bench with sandbags, with a squeeze bag, you know, by your armpit, with all that stuff in place with a 20-pound rifle, does that even matter to you? Probably not. Sorry about the voice, guys. I read Bible aloud for quite a long time this morning before I got up. I usually read the Bible before I get up, but I read it quite a lot today. The voice is already a little bit strained. You probably hear it. But the show must go on, as they say. Now, before we get into another couple of aspects, a real quick basic thing about steel. When steel heats up, it changes. I remember like a science experiment when you were a kid, and they have like a steel ring and a steel ball, and it will slide through, but if you heat the steel ball, it won't slide through anymore. Or it won't go through, and if you heat the steel ring and make the steel ball cold, it will slide through. That's because... Steel expands and contracts as it gets hot and cold. The key to shooting really consistently is being the same every time. So the more that heats up and contracts, the more it's going to change the barrel, literally, outside and inside dimensions. So a couple of ways to combat this. The real first basic one, the more traditional one, at least for target rifles, is going to be a bull barrel. You literally just make the barrel bigger and heavier. The more mass an object has, the slower it changes in temperature. Both ways, right? The longer it takes to get hot and the longer it takes to cool back down. So if you're shooting a really small target, let's say a one inch target, a prairie dog's head at 200 yards and you might be shooting five, ten times, in a few minutes. Yeah, that bull barrel is going to help because your point of impact is not going to shift as much over that course of fire. The downside, the obvious one to this is weight. Bull barrels are heavy for getting out of your pickup truck and setting down on a literal bench to shoot prairie dogs. You obviously don't care. It's a trade-off there, but that's the point of the bull barrel for target shooting, for varmint shooting. The barrel takes longer to heat up and cool down, so it's more consistent over a course of fire. Now, think about a car radiator, and don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. How does a car radiator work? It creates a lot of surface area, so that the air that hits that radiator cools down the object inside it much quicker. It does this very simply by increasing the surface area. You can increase the surface area on a barrel as well. The most common way to do this is to have a fluted barrel. You literally cut grooves in the barrel so if you were to actually let's say you're probably all familiar with the measuring tape to use to measure like clothing or to tailor something the soft flexible measuring tapes right if you were to put those around a one-inch bull barrel it should measure one inch if you were to then to cut in flutes fluting into that barrel to cut grooves in and out in and out in and out you were to lay it along the entire inside and outside that barrel and all those flutes it would measure more than one inch for increasing the surface area which gives the air which is much cooler than the inside of the barrel when it fires more surface area so it cools down more quickly and since you're removing material you're getting less weight that is another way to kind of control that crazy up and down that your barrel gets heating and cooling, heating and cooling. Theoretically, it should cool down faster, so that cumulative heat won't build up as much or as fast in shooting a string of fire. You might see the fluted barrel in rifle where you want it to maintain consistency shot after shot, but you don't want it to be super heavy. Maybe it's a hunting rifle. Right? Maybe it's a really high-end AR where you building it for a semi-precision build, but you still want to maintain it, let's say, under 10 pounds. You want a barrel that's more accurate over a longer course of fire, but you don't want to add a crazy amount of weight. Because bull-barreled, you know, 24-inch stainless steel bull-barreled ARs are very good at that, but they weigh a ton. I used to have one for hunting varmints, an upper at least. They got rid of it. Too heavy. Not how I like to hunt. But let's say you were building something for like a base of fire rifle or a sustained fire rifle that you could fire and maneuver. So for a base of fire weapon or a fire and maneuver weapon for a squad or for your mag or whatever, may you want a fluted barrel? Yeah, it might make sense. You're thinking you might use it with longer strings of fire at extended distances. Is it a home defense carbine? Then it again, this is probably a feature you probably don't care about or want. Because your point of impact shift, even if you have to dump several rounds quickly, home defense distances, you know, inside of 200 yards, the difference is going to literally be academic. Your body movement and your body mechanics and your breathing and your, your you know, just your heartbeat are going to impact that weapon so much more than the fluting in that barrel is at those distances. So why well, you generally don't see law enforcement carbines or home defense carbines or anything like that with fluted barrels. It's just not relevant to that application. But that's what fluting is if you were wondering you may hear pencil barrel and i really like pencil barrels pencil just means a stem it's just somebody just nicknamed it a pencil barrel the m16a1 honestly is probably my favorite version of an m16 i really like those they have a pencil barrel are known for getting point of impact shift like we talked about shoot them on long strings of fire that barrel will heat up and it will start shoot a different place how applicable that is in a carbine role or in an actual dynamic gunfight in most combat situations. That's negligible. The military did decide to go with a heavier barrel. I've heard different reasons for that because Marines were snapping them in bayonet fighting, which I can believe. <laughs> Being a Marine myself, liking bayonet training quite a bit, I can believe that. Seems like a silly reason to make a barrel heavier, though, the way your firepower versus mobility in that. But Panzer barrels are generally your lightest option. I have a pencil barrel on my go-to hunting rifles on my Adirondack. That thing is light without the scope and everything. It weighs like four pounds on something. It's awesome. It does get a point of impact shift. After, I think, two rounds. After my second round, I dramatically get a shift in my point of aim, point of impact. If I remember correctly, it starts to shoot higher quite a bit. And I could care less because it's my hunting rifle. It's my go-to hunting and guiding rifle. My first round in hunting should be the only round that I need. If I have to make a follow up shot, and I generally like to, if I can get another round in that animal, if it's moving at all, I'll put another round in it just because I want to recover it. But for a big game hunting rifle, I don't really care. And if I do have to get a third shot for some reason, the animal's likely going to be running and running hard. And the fact that my point of impact may be, you know, a half inch different, my third shot is so insignificant because I'm not even, my brain's probably not even going to be able to factor that in on a running, say a running ram going over a hill. My client got a bad shot on it. You know that, again, it's it's not even a factor for me. The fact that that rifle is light and handy and that I can carry it all day and have it ready and not be fatigued when that you know, elk jung- jumps up in the timber at 75 yards, that's way more important to me than... Able to shoot five shots in a row and having it stay in the same point of aim, point of impact. It's a hunting rifle, a big game hunting rifle, right? I'm not shooting prairie dogs with it. I have a different rifle for that. So, again, this all boils down to what's important for you. This brings me to another real common thing, and I don't own one, but I probably would really like to if it came in a rifle that I wanted, but a carbon fiber barrel. So, generally, a carbon fiber barrel. If you know about carbon fiber, it's super lightweight, especially compared to steel. And it's apparently good for dissipating heat. What they'll do is they'll take a pencil barrel and they'll wrap it with carbon fiber. Although it looks big like a bull barrel, and I guess, you know, as far as dimensionally goes, it is big and fat like a bull barrel. It's way, way lighter, but still disperses heat. Really cool concept. Uh, Downsides are it's obviously a complex procedure to wrap it in carbon fiber and get it precise you're getting two different materials together. Again, like the cold hammer forge barrel, it's going to add complexity. It's going to add expense. It's going to add other things that can go wrong, but it's a really cool concept. So that's another way that you deal with that issue of heat building up in the barrel. Stainless steel is one of my favorite materials. Again, if it's not a defensive or go-to training rifle, defensive rifle, because if I'm gumfighter, gunfighter, I need to be training a lot so that if I ever be called upon again to go to a gunfight, I am ready. It requires a lot of training. For most other applications, I like stainless steel because I'll carry it a lot, as in hunting and things like that. I like stainless. I have heard it said when I was a professional hunter and guide, most of the other guides did not like stainless because they thought it stood out don't really understand this to me because in my experience black stands out in a natural environment far more than gray does. If you're talking about like a shiny stainless steel barrel that's one thing. If you have a shiny stainless steel barrel take a Brillo pad to it or take a steel wool to it or something and make it not shiny. But none of the ones that I have are actually shiny on rifles anyway. It took a long time actually. It was kind of Ruger and maybe before that Daytonics to get stainless steel in a lot of guns because just make gun steel out of whatever you want it has to be a certain hardness and it has to interact and have certain properties springiness there's all kinds of metal properties that i don't pretend to understand as i'm not a chemist or an engineer you know ductility malleability all those different things but it took a while to get stainless steel that was able to be used in a gun roll largely in barrels and slides and things like that but it is now i like the advantages of it traditionally we're talking about a harder steel but just you know, basic steels, they rust quite easily. The first way to prevent that was bluing. think of bluing as kind of a different kind of rust. It's not iron oxide, it's something else that I don't remember the name of it, but iron oxide is just basically iron being exposed to oxygen molecules and causing rust. Bluing is exposing it to other chemicals and acids and things like that to give a different kind of coating. If you think rust being a coating... It gives it a different kind of coating that makes it less likely to rust. Talked about chrome lining, that's an entirely different material so the chrome theoretically shouldn't rust because chrome doesn't rust. Also more recently there has been what's called nitriding. It's a newer process but it has a lot of merit and nitriding from what I understand is literally a molten, if you think of like molten lava, well it's molten salt I believe. They dip the steel in there and it it just coat it like bluing or case hardening or something like that. It actually infuses into the first couple layers of the steel. It does a couple of things as I understand it makes it harder. And it makes it really corrosion resistant. Is it as hard as chrome? Is it as good as chrome? I'm not really sure but it's good and it's far better than bluing. They look almost the same. Until you start to see one rust and one not. But it's a far different process. The other one that's... Kind of going out of favor but it's still I think the military standard for ARs on the bolts and and a lot of military guns are either parkerized or manganese phosphated. They're just other coatings to help with corrosion resistance and maybe toughen up the steel a little bit. Parkerization, think of it kind of like bluing, at least I think of it kind of like bluing, that doesn't make it super shiny. Traditional blued guns can be very beautiful but they're shiny and that may not be something you want in certain applications. If you think about that bullet traveling down the barrel, when it exits the barrel, you want it to be perfectly symmetrical. You want all those lands and grooves to release their pressure at the same time. That's why the crown of the rifle is so important. That's why I kind of cringe when I see people put their rifles down, you know, barrel first in a truck or something like that or somebody dragging a cleaning rod, and that cleaning rod contacting that crown, the end of that rifling, is one of the worst things for a rifle barrel as far as accuracy goes. And I've seen far more weapons, in my opinion, damaged from over-cleaning or misproper handling of the muzzle than, than over-firing. Much, much more. A lot of people worry about, oh, how many rounds has this gun had? I don't generally care how many rounds it's had because most people won't outshoot shoot a gun. But a lot of people will... Improperly clean a gun, and let's say get one of those cheap three-piece aluminum cleaning rods, and shove it through the barrel of a nice rifled gun, and scratch the crown of the rifling. Which leads me to another thing: the crown of the rifling is super important. And for obvious reasons, you want when that barrel to, when it exits that barrel, you want it to be perfectly symmetrical. To do that, you need a pristine crown, which is why you hear a term called target crowning. Literally, cut a recess. Give that crown protection from smashing it into stuff, from thumping somebody in the head with it, or dropping it. And that is really important. That's a feature I think every barrel ought to just have. I would never choose, if, unless there were some other extenuating circumstances, I would always choose a barrel with a recessed crown. A lot of times it will be called a recessed crown or a recessed target crown. That's a big feature to me, especially in a gun that I'm actually going to be using in a dynamic environment. I like that. A lot of tactical guns are going to have muzzle brakes, muzzle devices, which kind of mitigate that necessity. But the tactical devices or a target crown or a recessed crown, I like them. The number one reason I like a muzzle device or a muzzle brake or a flash hider or a compensator, the number one reason I like that is literally to protect the end of that barrel. stuff is kind of just a side benefit to me. And that's going to lead me to the tactical tip of the day. But before I get into the tactical tip of the day, guys, consider going to goodshepherdtraining.com or to the Patreon page. There will be a link to both underneath in the show notes. If you haven't ever been to those, reevaluate your life, take a deep breath, step back, and consider it. I put out, I think, four or five Patreon videos on Patreon for the patrons last week. Different shooting drills, different things like that. Just on a fun piece of kit wondering why i don't do videos i do do them quite frequently or at least post them quite frequently as for now they're for the patrons or for the patreon page that being said i did last week put on the patreon page a video explaining natural point of aim with a pistol and how it can be achieved and that's really important for pistol accuracy and for speed and draw with a pistol. That video is on the Patreon page. You can watch it for free. It's one of the few videos on there that's for everybody. Meaning you just have to go to the Patreon page. You don't have to be a patron. There's a bunch of other content on there for the patrons. So if for nothing else, just go to the Patreon page just to watch that video if you want. Or check out goodshepherdtraining.com. There's a Patreon link right on there so you can go to either one. Anyway, as a thanks for staying tuned through all that and listening to this episode, the tactical tip of the day. A lot of guns nowadays, a lot more than used to be, which is a good thing, come threaded. The end of the barrel is threaded. and Most of the time, they'll just come with a thread protector, which is basically just a gnarled piece of metal that you screw on the outside that protects the threads on the outside of the barrel in case you want to put a muzzle breaker or a muzzle device on the gun. Or a suppressor, I guess. That's probably the biggest reason a lot of pistols will have these in case you want to put a suppressor on there. Well, we talked about that target crown. Here's a real quick tactical tip. O-rings are cheap. Take the thread protector off, put a rubber O-ring back behind the threads where the barrel expands to its regular diameter and screw that thread protector back on. Now you should have a little bit of space on the outside and this For all intents and purposes Gives your barrel a recessed target crown Protecting that muzzle You're essentially giving yourself A recessed target crown And it's as cheap as a rubber O-ring That's the appropriate size A female tactical tip My wife also often commandeers These O-rings Put in front of her actual wedding engagement ring To stop them from slipping off her hands For going into a city and area where you probably don't want A diamond ring Put an O-ring on I appreciate about her. Anyway, tactical tip of the day, which is going to lead me to the tactical verse of the day. One of the ones I was reading this morning I talked about, and I thought, that'd be good to read on the podcast. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Don't be afraid if your God is with you. Don't be afraid. You're called as a Christian to not be afraid, to be strong and of good courage. Reminds me of a time in Iraq during the initial invasion, or just after the initial invasion. We were a small detachment in charge of protecting, you wanna call it, we were installing a puppet government or we were trying to restore order or have a democratically elected thing in this tribal area. Anyway, whatever political figure, tribal leader we were trying to put in power there, we were there to guard him. And we were a small detachment. I may have a picture from that time that I can post. Anyway, we were at a small detachment there, kind of not really in close proximity to anybody. And there started to be a large protest. We knew how many people there were. And we could do simple math. Yeah, we were Marines, but we could do simple math. And we quickly realized the amount of bullets that we had were not sufficient for the amount of people we had to deal with. The obvious solution to that was bayonets. We talked about bayonet training in the beginning, right? And we were ready. Thankfully, it did not come to that. But it doesn't matter. If God is on your side, don't look at the numbers and lose heart. Be strong and of good courage. Look at how many men Samson slaughtered with the jawbone of a donkey. Not about what you can do. It's about what God can do for you. With that, men, thanks for listening and have a blessed day. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?